This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. desire to be with us and because when we sin sin separates us from God but God still desires to be with us he sent his only begotten son so that we can have fellowship with him and he can dwell with us remember in the beginning was the word the word was with God and the word was God and then in John chapter 1 verse 14 it says this and the word speaking of Jesus Christ became flesh and dwelt among us wow Can you imagine how much God loves us that He sent His only begotten Son, Jesus, to die on the cross? Pastor Eddie tells you in today's message how God sent Jesus to take away all of our sins on the cross so that we can be clean and free from the grip of sin. This is the ultimate love that knows no bounds. And all He asks in return is that you repent of your sins and establish a relationship with Him. Are you willing to know your Creator? Well, Let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Hebrews chapter 9 as he begins his message, The Earthly Sanctuary. chapter 9. In Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to take it from verse 1 and read all the way to verse 10, verses 1 through 10. The writer of Hebrew writes this, Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, the Ark of the Covenant, overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things, we cannot speak in detail. Verse 6. Now... When these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the services. But in the second part, the highest priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sin, committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicated this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifested while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot take him who performed the service perfect in regards to the conscience. Concerning only with food and drinks, various washings, fleshy ordinances imposed unto the time of reformation. Now, 
chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, the writer will show us a better sanctuary, a better sanctuary. If you've been with us in our study, you have known that the word better is pretty much common. It's mentioned 13 times in the book. Uh, we, since Christ, our Lord and Savior, he's better than the prophets. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. He is a better rest. He's the great high priest, so he's a better high priest. We have a better hope through Christ. We have better promises. We have a better covenant. Since we have all those things, there needs to be a better sanctuary. And that's what chapter 9 brings us, a better sanctuary. And so in chapter 9, the writer of Hebrews gives us a contrast between the earthly sanctuary, the tabernacle that was built by Moses, the Lord gave Moses instruction to build, and the heavenly sanctuary. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 10, where the writer is now going to just point to the earthly sanctuary. When we get together, Lord willing, it'll probably be next year. It will be next year. It's just a few weeks away, not a whole year. But we'll look at verses 11 through 22 and where it gives us the heavenly sanctuary. Okay, so from the earthly sanctuary to the heavenly sanctuary. For those of you who are taking notes in verses 1 through 5, verses 1 through 5, we're going to look at the earthly sanctuary, the tabernacle. That's in verses 1 through 5. In verses 6 through 10, we're going to look at the limitation the earthly tabernacle had, the limitation of service in the earthly tabernacle. Well, we read the text. Let's now study the text verse by verse. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 9 verse 1. The writer of Hebrew writes this, then indeed even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service. That's the first covenant between God and the nation of Israel. There was regulations for worship at the end of verse 1 and the earthly sanctuary. And just as the Aaronic priesthood was temporary. The priestly service of Aaron and the rest of the priests were temporary. The first covenant was temporary. So was the sanctuary. The temple was temporary. It was a tabernacle. It was an earthly tabernacle designed by God, but built by the hands of man. And if you want to do more studying that, you can study Exodus chapters 25 to 31. The Lord gave Moses instructions in what to build, how to build it, and even the furnishings in the temple, the tabernacle that is. And all of it was earthly. All of it was material. It was temporary. And I think we need to understand, just park here for a minute because the same applies for building today. I mean, you know, we're grateful we have a place where we could worship and serve God in the sanctuary. But quite often, we tend to put the building, the church building above God, above people. And uh, we give it more reverence than we do God and others. I think, you know, we need to put things in perspective here because it's sticks and bricks. And, you know, it is not the building that we worship God in, but it's who's in the building. And once we're in the building, God who dwells in the heart, that's when he's in the building. I always love the story when Pastor Chuck Smith would give. uh, He gave the story of what happened in the early uh, Jesus movement, which, by the way, there is a movie coming out. Uh, this is not a plug-in, but just to let you know, I, I mean, I watched the movie, I saw the movie, it's called The Jesus Revolution, and it's about how Calvary Chapel started the revolution of that movie out in California uh, with uh, Pastor Chuck Smith and 
great glory. Um, I was fortunate to actually was given a link to watch the whole film. And it wasn't a bootleg. It wasn't a pirate. It was a real film. They allowed me to watch it. But it actually gave the story in there where the, you know, traditional legalistic uh, church members and leaders and deacons were really upset because, you know, the hippies, they were coming in droves. They were, they were getting saved. Uh, they were coming to church. They were filling the sanctuary. But they would come straight from the beach barefoot into the temple. And many of the leaders were upset because, you know, there was, you know, beat sand on the carpet. And they put a sign that you needed to put on shoes or wash your feet. And then, you know, Chuck Smith kind of questioned, what's with the sign? He said, oh, these young kids are coming in barefooted and messing up the carpet. You know what he said? Take out the carpet because it's important. They have to come. They're more important than the carpet. You'd be amazed of the things people complain about in the church. And I get the complaints from people which was visiting, people which has been in church for about a month, six months, or even people who were serving, <laughs> not the servants now, but you know, we get, you'd be amazed, be all oh, the chairs, the walls, and this, and, and you know, they make a big deal out of it. You know, we don't have them. People were complaining that we had the women's brunch, actually Christmas brunch, you know, it, it outgrew the fellowship hall that we used the whole sanctuary. We turned this into well, we've been using this for everything. This is our gym cafetorium. You know, if you go to schools, a gym cafetorium is everything. We use this for everything. But it's what we have. We use what we have. But we don't, we don't let it stop us from glorifying God and having ministry and having fellowship. And so we have the Christmas brunch here. We convert this into a theater. Yes, there's popcorn on the floor. We clean it up. It's no big deal. We do it at home, don't we? Okay, so, you know, this is the house of God. So we can't put the play, but you'd be, you'd be amazed. The point is, you know, that God dwells in the heart of man. That's always been his desire. That's been the plan from the very get. And we'll see that when we look at the tabernacle and how God gave Moses the instruction. God always wanted to dwell with man. That's his desire since the very beginning. Okay, you remember when Paul went to Athens and he spoke to the men in Athens in Acts chapter 17. He said to the men in Athens in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, he says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. We need to understand that. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He dwells in the heart of people. The only time God is in this place is when his bride, his church is in this place. Once we all leave, all we have is church mice. I'm not saying we have a mouse problem, but that's it. You know, that's all that's here. God is in our hearts. He dwells. He is, you know, one day and one day very soon, we'll be with him in the true tabernacle. Now, the Lord, there's two reasons as to why the Lord gave Moses specific instructions on how to build the tabernacle. Two reasons. Number one, as we mentioned, God's desire has always been his desire to dwell with man, to be with us. He loves you. He loves us. He wants to dwell with people. He loves people. In the beginning, before God created Adam and Eve, he created a beautiful garden prepared for them where he can dwell and walk with Adam in the cool of the day, right? It's always been his heart, but because even with sin, even with sin, he sent the way where now we, he can dwell with us. It's his desire to be with us. And 
because when we sin, sin separates us from God, but God still desires to be with us. He sent his only begotten son so that we can have fellowship with him and he can dwell with us. Remember, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, and the words, beginning of Jesus Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word dwelt, you'll find it throughout the New Testament, and also you'll find it in the Hebrew, it all means the same thing. And it means to fix one's eye, fix one's tabernacle, to pitch a tent. That's what it means, to fix one's tabernacle, to pitch a tent. And that's how it was with the tabernacle. The tabernacle was portable. Whenever they didn't see the smoke, the presence of God, it's time for them to pack up and move on. Doesn't it remind you of your temple? Doesn't Paul says this tent, right? This is portable. And you know, sometimes the tent needs a lot of patching, right? I don't know if I feel like that every time. <laughs> it needs patching. I'm waiting for a new glorified body, right? And so it's portable. We're sojourners in this world. And just as the children of Israel, they would move wherever God moved. They would pack up, break down the tabernacle, build it up again. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. His desire is to be with people, his people. And then ultimately, we see this even in the very end. In the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them, and their God. So number one, God's desire for the tabernacle is, you know, in the Old Testament, was that a God could be in the midst of his people. Secondly, it's a typology. The tabernacle is a picture. It gives us and points to and speaks to of Christ. And as we go through the next few verses, we're going to see how all the furnitures and everything in the service of the tabernacle points to and speaks of Christ. It gives us a picture. It's a shadow. This is what the writer of Hebrews said back in chapter 8. In Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, he says that it serves the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. Now drop down to verse 9. Look at verse 9, chapter 9. It says, it was symbolic for the present time. It's all for the present time. It was symbolic. It was a picture. So now in verses 2 to 5, the writer of Hebrews is now going to speak about some of these things in the temple. So let's look at verse 2 and we'll just break it up and look at some of these uh, parts of the tabernacle and the furnishings. It says in verse 1, for a tabernacle, it was prepared. And so we do have a picture. Uh, it was given to us by an ancient drone back in those days. The court fence uh, there is half the size of a football field. Uh, it's 150 feet long, 75 feet wide. The fence was about seven and a half feet high. The tabernacle itself was 15 feet high. So if they were in the distance, the children of Israel were all in the north, south, and east, which if you look at that, you Google that, you can see it looks like it forms a cross. Um, but anyhow, they could see the top of the tabernacle because the tabernacle was 15 feet high. And so the tabernacle itself is 
45 feet long, 15 feet wide, 15 feet high. Let's look at verse 2 again. It says, for a tabernacle was prepared. The first part, now it's going to take us inside, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. So we make our way inside, and you see the first part to your right. Uh, You see the menorah, you see the golden altar of incense, um, we're going to talk about that here because the writer of Hebrew kind of puts a different place on that. Um, then you have the table of showbread. That is called the holy place. And that's divided by the second veil. The first veil, the outer veil, puts you into the holy place. You have the second veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place. And we're going to get to that. But we see here the holy place itself is 30 feet long, 15 feet wide, 15 feet high. In the holy place, you have the lampstand. You have the golden altar of incense and the showbread. Now, the lampstand, we're going to look at the lampstand now. Understand that the tabernacle had no windows. That wasn't the reason for the lampstand. The lampstand speaks as points to Jesus Christ, and I'm going to get to that in a minute. Let's look at the lampstand. The lampstand, uh, if you want to read that, there's some verses there where you go more into detail. Um, But according to Exodus chapter 27, Exodus 27, the priests, not the high priest, the priests, there were many priests, they were required, they were required to put oil in the lamp evening and every evening and every day. So evening and day, they had to fill it up with oil twice a day. Now when I say evening and day, that's the Hebrew. The Hebrews, the Jews, their day begins in the evening. So it says evening and then day. For us, we say day and evening, right? Right, daytime, nighttime. So for them, it's nighttime and then daytime. So, but they're to put pure olive oil in the lampstand. They're required twice a day to do that. Okay, in Exodus 27, verse 20, it says this, and you shall command the children of Israel that they bring you pure oil of pressed olives for the light to cause the lamp to burn continually. It's supposed to be lit continually at all times. Now, with this here, when we look at the lampstand, when we look at Christ, it points to Christ. What did Jesus say? I am the light of the world. Right In John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And if we follow Jesus Christ as the light of the world, then we too become light. We are a reflection of Jesus Christ. Right? That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus said, you are, not that you will be or that you try to be, say you are the light of the world. Those who follow Christ, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And so, now just picture this. This all is typology. This is a picture of our relationship with Jesus Christ. What kept the lamp burning, lit, was the oil. What does oil represent in the Bible? The Holy Spirit. You see, when we come to Jesus Christ, the moment we surrender our lives to Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. And it is the Holy Spirit that causes us to be lit continually. That's why the scripture says to walk in the spirit, not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so as we are constantly filled by the Holy Spirit with the oil as the lamp is, we're constantly lighting for Christ. That's why Jesus said, you are light. Why? What makes you light? Well, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that dwells in your heart. That's why we're a reflection of who Jesus is. When we look at the moon, right? You look at the moon in the nighttime, you say, it's just a ball of dirt. It doesn't have light. How does it light? It's a reflection of the sun. 
And you and I, we too are light. We're a reflection of the sun, S-O-N, Jesus Christ. So this gives us a picture of the light. The next piece of furniture we find in the holy place is the table of showbread. And he says a bread here in Hebrew, but there is a table there. And the table is about three feet long, one and a half feet wide, two and a quarter feet wide. And on the table showbread, there are 12 loaves of bread each loaf representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And the priests were required to eat the bread on Shabbat. They would eat the bread on Shabbat once a week on Shabbat. They would eat the bread and then they would bake another 12, fresh 12 loaves of bread after they eat the 12. And that's on the table. And you'll find that in the instructions in Leviticus chapter 24. Now, when we speak of bread, what does that remind you of? Jesus Christ, what did Jesus say? I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. In John chapter 6, verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. The bread of life. And it's through Christ that we have the bread, not only because of God, he provides for us daily, you know, the food that perishes that we get to eat. I mean, we're blessed in our country. We're blessed. I mean, the poorest of America are rich compared to many of the people in third world countries. There's so much that we could be thankful for that we eat the bread. But the bread that he's speaking of here is the bread, the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone. That's what Jesus said when he was tempted in the wilderness. You remember in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4? Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so we see the lamp, we see the showbread. Let's look at verse 3. He said, And behind the second veil, now he's going into the holy place. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, or you may know as the holy of holies, or the most holy place. And that brings us into the next room. We're going to get to the part with the uh, golden altar of incense and You know, because according to the, if you read it right off verse 4, you're going to think, wait a minute, isn't the golden altar of incense in the holy place? Yes, it is. We'll get to that. Hold that thought. But the room, the most holy place is 15 feet. Just think 15 feet all around. It's a square box, 15 by 15 by 15. And the only thing, according to the Old Testament and scriptures, it is, the only thing that's there is the Ark of the Covenant, and the high priest, not any of the priests, now there were many priests. There were uh, even at one time 80 priests, the high priest and 80 priests. And only the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holy once a year, once a year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And so let's look at verse 4. Now he mentions, he says he's already in the Holy of Holy, but he says, which had the golden censer, the golden censer. And again, you probably say, well, why does he say golden censer in the Holy of Holies when we read the Old Testament and many of the images that you find and studies and commentaries always places the golden altar in the holy place, not the Holy of Holies? Well, there are two views on this, two views that scholars that just, you know, try to interpret this. Well, the first interpretation is that at one time, uh, the censer was moved in the Holy of Holies. That could be possible because when Solomon built the temple, you ever looked at the image of the temple? It's huge. It's not 15 by 15 by 15. I mean, that's where they hang their coats. Inside, I'm just joking, there's no place you hang coats. But anyway, 
You know, but it's huge. I mean, you're talking about 30 feet with a veil. Solomon put more than just one menorah in there. He put like, I don't know, six, seven, eight. He put extra. So he kind of expanded the, you know, when he built the temple, when they no longer used the tabernacle. It could be possible. Aren't you glad you decided to join us today on Running the Race? Pastor Eddie has been making his way through the book of Hebrews in a series, Jesus is Better. We're learning some great truths about Jesus coming to be all that the Old Testament had talked about. The strength of God's Word and how it's fulfilled is something mighty to ponder. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We pray that God's Word has been a discerner of your heart today. We're so glad you joined us for Running the Race. Running the Race is a radio ministry out of Calvary Chapel of Milford. If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, Jessica has an invitation for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. Head over to runningtheraceradio.com to learn more about the church and hear more messages. Pastor Eddie has more to share with you in the book of Hebrews, so make sure you come back to hear more next time here on Running the Race.